After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, it's a draft podcast with wannabe comedians in cars. John Manuel, Hudson Belinsky, driving to the Raleigh Regional, squeezing in a podcast for the draft uh, six days before uh, T-minus six and counting Hudson till the draft and it's been a uh, action-packed spring the bi ba 500 is live nobody deserves more credit for that than you it's been a very uh hard hard uh scrum to get there uh we didn't get there smooth but we got there and uh congratulations on getting the 500 up well thanks it's uh it's it's been a blast i mean not not sleeping much and <laughs> not sleeping in the right places <laughs> but uh um yeah we have a we have a, a 500 for next year, really, there's going to have to be hashtag draft cot for Baseball America. <laughs> We're going to need to get a cot in the office. I did think think about sleeping on, uh, on one of the couches in the office, but um, but you know, it was a, a process. Uh, we learned from it. We'll we'll be more organized next year, and we'll we'll be doing an even better job next year. Every time every time we do this, every time we do a list, I feel like I learned from it. Um, we uh, we considered shoot probably 550 guys we were really looking at and when you know just talking about jj cooper and ted cahill mike lanana when we look at all the guys who are just going to be on the state list probably more than yeah probably it's more gonna be than like 7 750 800 probably more than that so it's it's a it's a bear uh but we're there and uh yeah it's a gar- it's a gargantuan gargantuan effort and, uh, you know, the name Baseball America hasn't changed, but a lot of the names who put that draft coverage together do change. And, you know, you think about the people who have left BA over the last three years, it's really been a lot of, it's been most of the turnover, most of the turnover has been on the draft side. So um, I'm really the only person at the staff who has covered the draft more than two years uh, at Baseball America. Right. So it is uh, challenging. And then, you know, we shifted Teddy from draft crew to the college crew, and uh, you know that that really uh, made it again new. Mike Lana really new to covering the draft, and you bit off a, a lot more of the draft this year than even last year. So uh, I, I'd still uh, the, the end result. I'm still really confident is a really good 500. Got a lot of good feedback on the top 200 list from the scouts I've been talking to lately. And uh, now I'm, just, uh, I'm looking forward to it being over, but because it has been so busy. But also just because uh, Hudson, it's a very intriguing draft where and you're still trying to figure out kind of how it's going to shake out. But it really still feels like the strength of the draft is that a player you could get at 75 could be just as good or better than the player who someone else took at 25. Absolutely, and and it's 
it, it's got some depth to it. There's, there's, you know, there's probably eight or nine guys at the top who have kind of, in my, my opinion, are, are in that first tier. But that second tier is a really big range. So mm-hmm. you, when you talk about the, the guys from nine to 75, you know, those, the, the possibilities with those guys, you could see a very good player there at 75, you know. And I think that there's also going to be some tough sign high school guys, some guys who are committed to big time schools who, who want some money and, uh, might be able to get it with all the teams who have multiple picks. Um, when you think about, the Dodgers, the Braves, the, the Nationals, Cardinals. the Cardinals, the Padres. There's so many teams, the Mets even. The, you know, there's so many teams that can they're going to be able to say, well, all right, we can give you that kind of money. The um, I'll tell you the one I wanted to get this out there. Talk about these teams that have a lot of play and how the Padres are expected. The Padres are fascinating. Let's let's talk, touch on the Padres a bit because I'll tell you, Hudson, the Padres have a lot of money to spend. They have a general manager who's been out on the road as much as most scouting directors this year in A.J. Preller. And yet they have a major league team that um, is a disaster right now. Uh, owner ripping the major league team and criticizing the organization right now, calling the big league team an embarrassment. And that was before they blew a 10-run lead to the Mariners. How much do you I mean, I don't think it's we can really know, but do you anticipate the Padres' major league struggles to impact the way that they were expected to play out in this draft, which was high-risk, high-reward players that A.J. Preller has really been tied to. As, you know, He's been seen all over uh, scouting this year. Do you, do you think that's going to make them go a little more conservative? I mean, I, I could see it. The, you know, you, you would think that if you're if you're AJ Preller and you're you're talking to ownership a, a couple of years ago when you get this job you're talking about the five year plan you know that's what you would think but then he turned around and made all those moves immediately right and and so it, it, they're a really hard organization to read none of none of those moves have worked out a b they also right. gave up farm system talent uh, and one of the guys they picked up in the Red Sox trade this offseason Javier Guerra is off to a really bad start. As a Padre in high class A this year, hitting about 182, and our Kyle Glazer was commenting on how he looks kind of lost at the plate. So nothing's really come up Preller yet in San Diego. Not yet, but he's a Cornell guy. He'll figure it out. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> I mean, plus two big ones. <laughs> but the uh, you know we've heard a million things on them, and and that's going to happen when you have three picks in the top 25. Um, the right. one the one that that has been put out there by some other publications is Cal Quantrill and you know rumors that there's a deal done I, that is that is false and uh, according to what I've heard from sources who are familiar yeah. with that I situation heard, I definitely haven't heard a deal done I know that they worked them out privately I know the Blue Jays also did you know that's from a couple of sources in the Pacific and the uh, and NorCal um, they're in on Cal Quantrill but I don't know I don't believe can, can you even do a deal with that guy at eight when you're big league team is in such dire straits. That's a very risky move. People like Cal Quantrill, and there's good reason to like him. I hear the makeups off the charts with this guy. Mm-hmm. But let's not forget, he hasn't pitched in a year plus. Um, yeah. There's a lot of risk. And the last time he pitched, uh, it was three starts in the spring last season. You're basically taking a guy who didn't pitch for two years I mean, and, with the eighth overall pick in the when, draft. When, you, when we talk about, so not right now we're, I'm getting questions about Hey, how's 2017 looking? Hey, how's 2018 looking? Right. And 
So, you know, we do look at these guys, and, and scouts do look at these guys, but you don't bear down Correct. on an underclassman and, and, and figure out, all right, how does this guy fit on my board two, three years from now? That's so, right. so you do watch them, and you pay attention, and you keep notes, and but you're not necessarily watching every pitch thoroughly. You're watching maybe the hitter that they're facing. So you're, you're watching a whole bunch of different things. The, how, how, much, how many scouts were really there bearing down on Cal Quantrill a couple of years back when he's at the at the regional in Indianapolis in Indiana. So the one thing that is that good year. for him is that he pitching for the Coastal Plains All Star team right. against Team USA right. against everybody you know, with gave, with everybody watching. I gave I believe I, I looked at that box score recently. It was either two and a third innings, three innings. It wasn't like he went through the whole thing twice. It was because don't forget that outing was about two weeks after he pitched in relief against Indiana on one day's rest and uh, shouted uh, an expletive at Kyle Schwarber after getting him out. I think he struck Schwarber out in the eighth or ninth inning and walking off the field, like, screamed at him. I mean, like, it was intense. Uh, I just remember, uh, you know, the stories about Kyle Schwarber being like, who is this guy and why is he screaming at me? You know, like, oh, you know, <laughs> hey, good, nice job. We still have one more inning here. But he was beating a lineup that had gone to Omaha the year before, Sam Travis, Kyle Schwarber, uh, some really good hitters in that Indiana lineup. And uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, this, those are his the, last two. The, the, there hooks, is basically. there is some track record. This is a guy who he was a guy out of high school. Sir, you know. Canadian, Canadian national, junior national team, obviously big league dad. Right, and and uh, and the, the the other concerns I have with him is I've talked to a few, quite a few people about him, and it's like, yeah, I saw him his freshman year or early in his sophomore year, and he was 91, 94 with a wicked changeup right. and a forty five breaking ball. That's exactly. that's kind of, which. That profile, sure, that sounds really good, and he's athletic and loose, and he's got some bloodlines. But when you're talking about a right-hander with a fringy breaking ball, that's a di- that's a disappointing profile. I, th- it's th- a go, it's a good one, but it's not a great one. Right. The, 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 I've just gone through this too many times. In my one of my first loves in covering the baseball draft, the BA, longtime podcast listeners will remember Dewan Brazelton. Oh yeah. 2001 draft, third overall pick, uh, had a unbelievable summer with the college national team in 2000 as the number two starter behind Mark Pryor. And I just remember John Savage was the pitching coach on that team, and Tim Corbin was assistant coach. Mike Gillespie, now at UC Irvine, was the head coach. And those guys loved Dewan Brazelton. Maybe it's Brazelton, but they loved Dewan, and they loved the split change that he threw. But it was a fringy breaking ball. There were other reasons why he didn't work out. Uh, wasn't great at conditioning, had bad knees that impacted his conditioning. Um, but the below average breaking ball was a big factor in why he didn't reach his ceiling as a number three star, uh, number three overall pick in the draft. And mm-hmm. there have been others, others since then, but that I mean, that's... fastball changeup combo for a right hander is always, you got to get right handed hitters out. You can't always get them out with just the fastball. I remember having a, a conversation with a, a cross checker breaking down. Dalton Jeffries versus Logan Shore. And so it was for this particular person, the, and this was early in the year before Dalton Jeffries was injured, but Jeffries was just clearly ahead because he, you could put an average or above average grade on his breaking ball, right? which you can't, you can't do for Logan Shore. And so Logan Shore's got excellent command. He's got Shore checks other boxes that that Jeffries doesn't from a health standpoint, but even before right, that, he's physica- got a better looking shoulder. Yeah, right. But his physicality standpoint at the time, he seems like he would be the more durable guy. Yeah, I mean, Jeffries has missed part of each of the last two seasons. Right. I mean, and, and 
you can talk about things. So I, I think about Marcus Stroman in this kind of way. Like Marcus Stroman's short, but Marcus Stroman's not frail. He has strength. Marcus Correct. Stroman's got thick, full shoulders. It's not necessarily what you what you think of when you hear of a, a 200 inning body. But it might be, you know, it might be functional. And also middle infield athleticism that Marcus Stroman right. you know, has, has had for a while. Right. I, and just, missed a, I just missed a turn doing this podcast. <laughs> we can make up for it, but that's, that's what happens when you record a podcast in the car. Especially when you're driving. I do have the hands at 10 and 2. Hudson's holding the phone. <laughs> I'm holding the phone, but... John, we, we've talked about the uncertainty uh, of this class a lot. You wrote a column on it not too long ago. So when you get questions online and on Twitter and in chats, kind of, does your your thought change every day on what's going to happen at the top? Yeah, it kind of does um, because I just I just don't think it's clarified. I do think the more chatter I hear, the more I think that the Mickey Moniac uh, buzz from last week might have been more misdirection right. in an attempt to drive down the price at one for AJ Puck. At least to hold the line on the cost of AJ Puck, mm-hmm. because if Puck doesn't go one, here's where Puck has leverage. If he doesn't go one, he goes two. Right. If Boniak doesn't go one, he goes four at the highest. Right. I don't think he's in play at two. I don't think he's going to go at three. Mm-hmm. He might. I mean, the Braves do like Mickey Boniak, but I hear the Braves much more connected with the college bats, Ray, Lewis, and Senzel than I hear them mm-hmm. connected to Boniak. Then the question is. Um, what would it take to sign Puck? And right. it will take more to sign Puck, but when it's all said and done, AJ Puck fits the bill of a one number one starter in this draft, a number one pick in this draft, and he fits that profile way more than Moniac. Now Moniac would probably be the smallest physically number one overall pick since Matt Bush. The only guy close is Tim Beckham. Big leaguer Matt Bush. Right, that's right. And big leaguer <laughs> Tim Beckham. Uh, but those are two of the fringier and lowest ceiling 1-1 picks right. in draft history. And those are, and maybe those things are related. So it's hard for me to see Moniak, even at 6-1, maybe he's 180, 185 at most. You know, I think he's listed at 175 on the USA roster from last summer. Yeah, when I talked to him, I did a feature on him in the, I guess, prior to the season or maybe it was in the winter uh, the timeline's kind of fuzzy at this point, but yeah. but he had told me that he had put on about five to ten pounds, and and was I've hoping heard 184. that 184. That's what I've heard. You know that that he was hoping that the power would come with that, and it did a little bit. He hit six home runs this spring. He hit a couple tanks at the the Boris Classic, so you the know Boris, he was great at the Boris Classic according to all accounts. Yeah, and so that's now you now you go from a guy who who kind of last summer was content to just go gap to gap. I shouldn't even say gap to gap. It was literally foul line to foul line. I saw him hit some doubles down the uh, the left field line where he kind of more high trajectory to the opposite field, which you'll see a lot for a high school player versus a college player. The um, But, you know, with the added strength, the ball's carrying over the fence a little bit more, and you wonder kind of what the ceiling is for that strength. Um, you know, this is a guy who you entering the spring, the feedback I got was, I kept wanting to run him up because I loved him, but the feedback I got was, well, he does not have, he's not shown enough power to, to move him up like that, so he belongs more in the teens. And so he showed a little bit more power. Now people think he might be a, a you know, 12 to 15, you know, maybe even upper teens kind of power guy. 
center field profile, 60 or 70 bat, depending on who you are. Right. I think I think if you really like him, you're putting a seven on the bat, which gives you the confidence to probably you have to double project. I think to get him to average power. I mean, right now you put him in the big leagues and pro ball, he's not going to show you average power. So you're going to have to go three five on the power if you think he's. Now, no one's given him above average power that I've talked to. Future average power if no, you have conviction in the hitting in the hit tool. But you do get the, you know, the, the phrase I hear a lot on the on the. I've only heard it on the West Coast too. Never heard it in the East Coast, but the magic wand, that kind huh. of ability to make hard contact and barrel the ball up. I hear magic wand with Mickey Moe from a couple people. I also hear everyone calling him Mickey Moe, which is just like my favorite nickname in the draft. I mean, I'm sure there are better ones. Uh, I mean, like Noni. Noni Williams is a good nickname. No, Noni Williams is solid. I like Mickey Moe. Uh, I like Baby Birdie. The, uh, oh, for, yeah, for Zach Birdie. Um, but, yeah, Mickey, you know, he, he worked with John Peabody coming up. And, and his boy Sherman. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the... And, and, and well, Peabody, you know, kind of taught him to to keep his hands very linear from a young age, and so it's the bat is in the zone forever. Right he, now, he's got a little bit of bat speed. He's got just unteachable hand-eye coordination and feel for the strike zone. And he's got so many reps. He's a 15U national team guy. He's been at the area code games he's been at the Arizona Fall Classic he's been everywhere he's faced as much good pitching as you could possibly face at this point in, in your career yeah, you had to face Mason Thompson on that 15 UT under squats I mean yeah. like geez you're, you're talking big time yeah I mean you had to like to have 94 coming at you when you're 15 years old and you know, what is what was he 5'10 140 at the time seriously but he made that team as a 15U guy one of the stars of the 18U team I mean, probably the guy the most played highlight of the last year's area code games was that, that catch he made. So, you know, the oh, Steve... Oh, man, that was legendary. That was, this was a Hall of Fame catch. So the, the Steve Finley comparisons are pretty strong out there. I think he's... I still think we're going to wind up Puck some... Uh, and then two is a big question now if, if Puck goes one. Right, right. Because, I mean, we might be spending a little bit too much time on the top of the draft, but, right. you know... There's Delvin Perez talk of a deal at two. Yeah, is a- I was talking to a, a scout about uh, one of his workouts, and I don't want to. I don't want to get into it because I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to burn the uh, the source there. Um, but sounds like some of his workouts are not kind of what you would expect uh, from Delvin. So this is a guy who ran like a six a sub six three sixty at the Excellence Games. He's uh, the twitchiest player in the draft. Oh, fair to say. Oh my goodness, it's. It, it's, it's too twitchy almost for his own good. He doesn't have body control. Well, well, once he does, I mean, and that, that's the thing. He doesn't turn 18 until November. Wow. So he's he's going to be a 17-year-old at Instructs, and he's more polished than most of the guys who are a year out, out from signing in, you know, July. He's he, far and away the top shortstop prospect in this draft. If he doesn't go two, he could go five. If he doesn't go five, he could go seven of the Marlins, five the Brewers. I mean, the, the thing is, like, the top shortstop in the draft, when he's also the twitchiest athlete in the draft, and he's young. And he's hitting people, tanks in BP. Yeah, he's one-hopping the wall to center field to the excellence games. This yeah. is like... People should not be surprised that this guy's going to be a single-digit pick, but he seems like he gets talked about less than other single-digit picks. Well, because because it, it's it's so risky, there and there's also... His English is coming around a little bit, but you're going to have to teach him that, too. So there's... 
Um, you know, there's, there's some questions about the maturity, which I don't, I don't know if it's fair for, for us to be ragging on a 17 year old for being immature. Well, we have been most of the spring for Jason Groom, so. Which, I, you know, I'll be the biggest defender of, of Jason right. Groom. Right. Um, you know, I, I think that, that stuff is, is pretty overblown. I do think that this guy shows up on time. He's there with his teammates. He gets along with his teammates. Those and, two 17 year olds have had it said about them much more than the average bear. That's. I mean, that, and that's a cross they have to bear, and uh, but it seems like it's affecting Groom more than Palacios. I mean, not Palacios, Perez. You're thinking about Palacios writing draft reports. I just did. Yeah. I guess that's the last guy I wrote. But, yeah, that actually reminded me. Palacios and Quantrill were on the same East Coast Pro team, which, which I always talk about who's on the same East Coast Pro team. Yeah. That's, that's one of my favorite, favorite events. No, it's literally my favorite event. But, John, uh, I wanted to just like, kind of bounce off of, uh, just go over some non hundred guys, maybe some later round guys who are are uh bursting up or, or just fun to talk about. I know your boy is yeah. is Mitchell White at Santa Clara. Yeah. What what you got on Mitchell White? Well that's a that's a great way to, to wrap this up because the uh the West Coast conference had a lot of really good Friday night arms. Michael mm-hmm. Rucker at mm-hmm. uh at BYU, Brandon Bailey at Gonzaga, obviously the top one who we're on our way to go see right now, Corbin Burns. Uh they're saying boo earn, sir. I <laughs> uh, have to throw in my Smithers impression. Um, Loyal Marymount's got J.D. Busfield. I feel like I'm leaving somebody out. Oh, A.J. Puckett, my boy at Pepperdine. Yeah, that's your boy. Um, so the Big West was lousy with Friday starters. You had to go cross-check. Mm-hmm. And the Pac-12 was not. The Pac-12 was light. So those big, those West Coast Conference guys, they really got under the microscope. And you could go see them on a Friday night against uh, Pacific with Gio Brusa. Or you can go see him against Pepperdine with Manny Jefferson. Or you can go see him against uh, LMU, Little Marymount with Cassidy Brown. There were some decent hitters for these guys to face as well. Right. And that's where Mitchell White really started to stand out. And the real key to Mitchell White is the overall package is really unique. The guy uh, did not pitch, apparently, in high school at Bellarmine Prep. He pitched some travel ball, but didn't pitch for Bellarmine Prep's high school is what I've been told. Um... Had Tommy John surgery the summer after his senior year because he was learning to pitch, injured the elbow, uh, rehabbed it, was in Santa Clara's bullpen last year, wound up being a starter and a very good starter uh, for Santa Clara. Uh, and then, you, then you're talking about uh, Mitchell White with a really good body. It's 6'4", 190. Um, there's some athleticism there. Yeah, there's a lot to like. And, 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 and there's four pitches, and that's the other thing. The, the changeup has really come along, and I guess the late reports really are, Hudson, when I'm having a hard time getting scouts to confirm. Right. Most of the year, 89-93. I've got a couple coaches talking about Mitchell White popping 96 10 times at BYU in his last regular season start, and he shoved against BYU, and he also was 91-95 consistently with a uh, nine-inning, one-hit, I believe it's 15-strikeout outing at Portland. Not a heavily scouted game. Portland, not a great lineup, Yeah, he dealt. I mean, I think that when you talk about some of these guys like that, the uncertainty also kind of makes them a little bit more valuable. Correct. Like, the, they're not not as as uh you're not as rock solid on the evaluation but also it could be that this new velocity is just going to be there and it might be it also might be uh one way to talk about it is it's almost like it's a market inefficiency there's information asymmetry i'm going to use another clint longenecker term but you've if you've seen that you've got more info on mitchell white you feel like you can 
sneak up and get him where others don't have that information. So the other part of that, I guess, uh, the other function there is a guy like Mitchell White is not going to be bandied about early when you don't have an agent. He has representation now that moves him up boards. Uh, so all those kind of things, you know, I'm hoping to talk to him today, uh, this afternoon while we're watching this St. Mary's game. So St. Mary's, Santa Clara, I get it mixed up all the time. He's Santa Clara. We're watching St. Mary's. Um, but I think the overall uh, strength of the West Coast Conference is what got him seen. And again, an eligible sophomore. Uh, he's just a really interesting story from all those standpoints. And I think he's going to, he's got a chance to go in the third or fourth round. Hudson, who's somebody who, oh wait, where are the stairs? <laughs> We're over here. Who's somebody who fits that profile? Yeah, I can't keep the randomness out of it. I think people appreciate it when we, uh, we do this kind of stuff. Well, we're just doing it out of the passion, out of the wanting to talk about it, uh, really part of it. Uh, but who's someone who fits kind of that bill? Maybe a late pop-up guy. Didn't you have to write about a couple guys who, uh, Florida high schoolers who popped up in Sebring at the, uh, state all-star game? Yeah, there's, there's one, uh, there's a, a few of them. There, there's some VLO, uh, VLO guys are coming up out of Sebring. The, uh, um, Bo Bichette had a, had a pretty good Sebring. Not, not a pop-up guy, but Bo Bichette is a, a personal cheese ball of mine, if there, uh, if there ever was one, a guy who I really believe in. The, I think the best part of Bo Bichette is that you've said him all year and since last summer as if he were related to Boba Fett. Yeah, I just say it like it's one word. Bo Bichette. Bo Bichette? <laughs> Bo Bichette? Where? You know. But the uh, Chris Rodriguez at a Pace High School, just he's showing some velo. Steer, I hope he steers, steers clear of the Sarnak to make one more Star Wars reference. <laughs> I believe it was the Sarnak that reaches up and drags him in. I don't know. I'm not. I only saw, saw I Star am. Wars once, so. Hudson is 20 years younger than me, and it shows in, in his Star Wars, his lack of Star Wars. Well, game. well, that's that's <laughs> that's the one thing which, a lot of times, I don't have the experience to say. This is how this guy compares to, or right. like, and and one thing that that uh, Kevin Goldstein at Baseball Perspectives used to say was, you don't know your past unless you know your future, or you you don't you don't know the future you don't know the future time. unless you know your past, um, and so I'm still still very much in the process of of figuring out the past, um, and so that's like that's why oftentimes when that's we're got figured out. when when we're doing these things, it's I can really like a guy's tools or. You know, but I need to kind of bounce them off of you guys, you and JJ, to kind of get a more perspective on it. But so some other Sebring guys, um, Tyler Dyson, um, who I, I have not confirmed if he's related to Sam Dyson yet. Hmm. Um, but he, I had heard about him in in Jupiter. I remember trying to run over to a field here and that he was pitching. And he, he had just come out. He was pitching for the Florida Burn, uh, so I had not seen him in the fall. Uh, but he committed to the floor to Florida during the Diamond Club, which is about a, which is the week prior to Jupiter, to Jupiter. Yeah. So he's not an unknown, but he was, I guess, 93, 95 wow. at Sebring. So he's got a little bit of helium. Luis Curbelo, a Puerto Rican player who transferred to Coco High School in Florida, fluent in English, uh, by all accounts a, a good makeup guy, has, has shown a little bit of pop. He maybe sounded, fits at, at third base long term. He sounded a little bit like Luis Guillaume, maybe a little bit uh, heavier bat than Luis Guillaume, and maybe not quite the shortstop. But Guillaume wasn't a burner either. Yeah, I think of I think of Alexis Torres okay. out of Puerto Rico okay. like Luis Guillaume, okay. um, in and that Milton Ramos kind of yeah. phylum of player. That's right. The um, the Mets like those players. They do. <laughs> they I wonder if Guillaume, Alexis Torres will be a Met. They have Guillaume and they have Ramos. Yeah. 
it sounds like uh, just doing Appy League stuff. It sounds like Ramos scuffled a little bit and and getting into pro ball, but you know, still got to believe in in tools on that one. Yeah. The um, but Curbelo talking to some area scouts down there about him and what he was doing this spring. He hadn't shown as much power as he did in Sebring. He kind of waited until Sebring to bust it out. I guess he hit 10 bombs in BP down there. Oh my. So, yeah, I mean, and you're talking about a makeup guy who's going to stay in the dirt. So that's that's a kind of interesting little one. Um, Jose Miranda in Puerto Rico is a, a little bit of a cheese ball of mine as a guy who, who can really hit. I've never seen him play, unfortunately, but I've gotten some video of the swing and it's it's uh, it's pretty pretty. So um, those are just a few guys. But John, we're we're about to walk in and yeah. and and wrap this up. So and here's, and here's the big test, Hudson: is will NC State feed us pregame? That's the real test. That's we are sports writers. I'll also note that Hudson and I are the biggest boys on the BA roster. Yeah, I mean, I so, got belly to keep up here. So we've got <laughs> so we've got uh, we have a little bit more hashtag need and a hashtag want for uh, for uh, pregame. But we are uh, rolling up to Dale Park, uh, D- Doke Field at Dale Park, for a little NCAA regional action. A reminder that uh, Ted Cahill will be at Clemson all weekend. Follow Teddy. He's obviously going to follow the whole country, but uh, uh, following the Clemson regional. We will be checking in here in Raleigh all weekend. Mike Lanana offering hashtag analysis all weekend uh, nationally. And Jim Schroeder tweeting when he can with his one good arm. He's pulling a Bob Dole this weekend. So, And one thing that I would mention is is writing. We have the, the reports on the BA500 coming out uh, over the next few days. And you can subscribe to Baseball America for a little, as little as 10 bucks a month. nine ninety nine, in fact. So I, I think it's a great time to do it. Or we're walking in now. So, so for for John Manuel, I'm Hudson Belinsky. That's uh, that's our podcast. Thanks for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.